suppose I should start from the beginning. Edgar and I went back down from our hiding place. The building we'd taken shelter in was drafty, cold, and eerily empty with not a soul in sight. But we stopped to look out one of the windows. Grand Iver Glen had been gravely attacked by the enforcement automatons meant to protect us, and yet they did the exact opposite. From our location, we could see the heavy clouds covering the sky. But we could see the darkness in the streets as blurry lights showed some of the bloodied bodies littering the once prestigious streets of the inner city. We could see the utter hopelessness that filled our home. I cannot lie, I desperately wanted to flee, to go home, to make sure that my fluffy white kitten was safe. But I couldn't. Edgar wanted to push onward, and if I'd left him to journey alone, well, I think it's a good thing I decided to stay. When we reached the ground floor, we looked out another window, preparing our ray guns for whatever happened next. I was honestly surprised to see that Edgar even had one. The boy's handsome and all, but certainly not the type who'd carry around weapons. So I thought. But then, a strange noise filled the air. It sounded as though the power in the city was dying. And indeed, within moments, someone had caught the power. The street lights that had given us sight were suddenly out, and we were almost enveloped in complete darkness. But there was still one building lit, Trough Tower's main pillar. It glistened gold as though nothing had happened, as though the gore that adorned its surroundings was invisible. The glittering jewel of Grand Ivor Glen, even when the city was in shambles. It was curious and Edgar had muttered to himself in a confusion as to what was going on. It was strange to see his personality change so fast. When I'd grabbed his hand and led him into the building, he seemed so pale and frightened. He's handsome and all, but I wouldn't have guessed him to be the type to take lead. Full of surprises, this one. While he focused on the tower, I looked out at the streets we were to rush across and noticed something even stranger. The enforcement automatons that had been lurking the streets for victims, well, suddenly, they didn't move. Every single one of them was hunched over as though exhausted from their massacre. Their visible gears didn't churn once, and their navy uniforms dripped with blood. I hissed to Edgar that the machines were off. I worried it might be a trap, but Edgar explained that None of this made any sense. The main power grid that kept the city running was clearly cut, except Trough Towers. But the enforcement automatons did not run on a power grid. Or perhaps they do, just not the same one. Okay, I'll be honest. I didn't pay attention to a word Edgar said. Don't judge me. I'm not at all that interested in automatons. I mean, yes, as an engineer, I should be. But let me ask you, audio diary, just because you're a writer doesn't necessarily mean you want to write about the secret lives of a corrupt politician or the signs of your mother's non-existent love. Why am I arguing with the diary? Anyways, point is, I've never really fancied automatons. They mimic human life and something inside me has always known they do something like this. I'm not in the least bit surprised. I mean, I am, but you get what I'm saying. This isn't far-fetched, but according to Edgar, it should be. 
Not that I trust the boy's opinion. I really should stop describing him as a boy, too. He doesn't appear to be that much older than me, or, well, I don't know, we haven't gotten that far. All I know is that he's a talking plank of wood compared to me, and this talking plank of wood was ready to rush right into the bloodied streets to investigate. I pulled him back, thankfully, and we waited to see if there was any movement. The wild winds from the neighboring jungles blew through the graying streets, cooling the area. A light drizzle created a dew over everything it touched. It was as though Flora was trying to clean up the mess Grand Ivor Glen had made. We breathed in the silence. I could tell that Edgar was as nervous as me, his breathing rapid and short. I couldn't help my heart from pounding in my chest and ears. We nodded to each other when the stillness had gone on long enough. We rushed out into the gloomy streets of the inner city and tenderly walked around the automatons when they neared. I worried the sound of my heeled boots would awaken one of them, but Edgar hissed. Once their main power supply was off, there was no waking them from their eternal slumber. We were light on our feet, unsure of what we should and shouldn't be afraid of. We had to... Pardon me. It was just such a terrible sight. I had to walk over bodies, entire lives that had just left behind a shredded husk to be remembered by. I felt warmth in my cheeks and tears in my eyes, but Edgar pulled me along. As we approached Trov Towers, I saw the bodies of guards who'd only a few hours ago kicked me out of the building. Despite how rude they were, I would never wish their fate on even the worst human beings. Edgar pulled me from my thoughts and asked me if I knew what this meant. I was a little out of it, not going to lie. So he explained it meant that Trav Towers had nothing to do with this. Even their own were injured. I felt little relief in his thoughts, but I nodded and we began to walk through the tall buildings. I'm not sure what I expected. I saw the bodies, secretaries, businessmen, and women. Fancy inner city people. They were all the same in death. Their bodies littered the floor. I suppose I had expected more twitching lights and darkness, similar to the scene I'd witnessed outside. But no. Despite the macabre and the mess of dropped paperwork, there was really nothing different about the building from when I'd first walked into it. It's scary to think that something can look so similar even after such a gruesome, evil thing has happened. But something in my gut told me that whatever had happened on this day in Grand Iver Glen, in Trov Towers, was not the first evil thing to have happened in the same instance. Edgar and I had managed to find an elevator that had not experienced a corpse blocking his entrance. It was completely untouched, which made me all the more weary. But when we reached the top, there was nothing. No bodies, no blood, no limbs, nothing. And it was here that I knew evil stemmed from. Here was where things had gone wrong. 
Edgar told me that the power grids running the city are not in Trav Towers, but another building not far away. Whoever was doing this had connections, but he knew, as well as I did, that there was something wrong. He knew, as well as I did, that the person or persons behind this were somewhere on this floor. Together we walked. My hands shook and my ray gun shimmered in the bright gold light from the building. I've lived in Flora's most rural jungles with only a cat and an elderly man, and I can tell you now, audio diary, that I have never experienced more fear than I had in that moment. There was a series of office hallways. We walked in what was a maze to me, but clearly a second home to Edgar. We finally came to an end hall. There were two large doors that opened up into the same room. There were heavy white doors with a frosted glass as the only means of looking in. We ducked below it once as we saw faded and morphed black shapes moving slightly behind it. We looked at each other and pressed our ears to the crack in between the twin doors. We heard laughing, <laughs> strange laughing and a muddled cry. I knew the voice on the other side. I'd heard it in every radio broadcast and television program there'd ever been on the man. Julian Locklove was speaking. He sounded like a proper gentleman, but what he was saying was just animal. He was laughing amongst other laughs, and they seemed to be laughing at the muffled cry. We listened closer, but I could see the fear growing in Edgar's wide blue eyes. Julian said something about the Cadwells being cocky. Something about the Cadwells not doing a very good job of running the company. Something about the rest of the aristocrats finally taking over Trove Towers. Something about Flora finally being a planet ready for harvest. Deaths were necessary, Julian had justified. He said that with the wealthy dead, there were empty bank accounts with millions invested. Julian said with the power grids down all over Grand Iver Glen, he had access to all the wealth in the city. They would rob the dead of their eternal wealth and claim it for their own. But here was where things got confusing, at least for me anyways. Apparently, it all clicked for Edgar, and he seems to know what's going on, so I'll have to ask him about it later, but Julian Locklove said something about Flora not being Trough Tower's most productive planet. He referenced some sort of previous conversation, or perhaps argument, that the Cadwells had clearly been on the other side of. He said that this harvest should have happened long ago, that Flora was nothing but an uninhabitable jungle only Cretans could survive. I took offense to that last part, but really what baffled me was the idea that Trough Towers had more power on other planets. I was confused, but there was really nothing I could do to sedate my hazed mind at that point. There was the ripping of tape off skin, and I heard the voice of another man. He was out of breath, but his voice was deep and calm. He said something about knowing this would happen. He said that Mr. Locklove could kill him if he wanted. Kill his entire family too. But there were other Cadwell heirs on other planets. 
At this point, I heard a muffled cry of a woman and saw Edgar's pale face. They had his mother, and clearly she knew about the other heirs just as much as Edgar did, which was not at all. A glass broke from somewhere inside the room. Mrs. Cadwell cried through her gag. The room was silent from what we heard. And then Mr. Locklove yelled. He cursed his fellow aristocrats for not knowing this, but Mr. Cadwell said nothing. And then Mr. Locklove said they had to leave. They were going to get to their newfound funding and abandon Flora, and to make sure that the Cadwell heirs were extinct. Then Mr. Locklove laughed and said that at least they'd gotten rid of the oh-so-dashing Edgar Cadwell. One down, and only so many to go. I heard Mrs. Cadwell weeping at the supposed loss of her son. Mr. Cadwell said that Edgar was stronger and smarter than Mr. Locklove gave him credit for. And then, Locklove said that no one in the inner city could have survived that attack. The enforcement automatons had searched for any life in the inner city and came back with nothing. He pronounced Edgar dead and then, and then he, he said that Mr. and Mrs. Cadwell were going to join their son and he shot them. I saw Edgar's mouth widen with mine and the sound of the bullet, but I grabbed hold of him to keep him quiet. Mrs. Cadwell screamed, and then there was another bang, and then she stopped. Then there was silence, and then there was congratulations, and then there was a shuffling of feet, but they did not come where we were hiding. The aristocrats left through another door inside the room, and then they were gone. When we were sure that they were not coming back, Edgar pushed me away and rushed into the room. I can't even describe what we saw. Or perhaps I can, but I... I simply don't want to. If I were to describe it, I would be describing the end of two people's lives. I would be describing the end. The end of a human experience. An end that wasn't deserved. What I will say is this. I helped Edgar unite his parents and put them next to each other on the floor. It wasn't dignified, but it was the best we could do. Their hands were growing cold, but I placed them together and stood back to watch Edgar grieve. I don't know, Edgar. I won't pretend that I do. I won't pretend that we're friends or that we will ever even come close to the meaning of that word. But what I will say is that in that moment, I understood his grief and I knew that I would help him in any way that I could. We waited for a few moments and I stood watching the different doors four in total, waiting for someone to come back, but no one did, or at least no one has, we're still here, 
on the top floor of Trav Tower's most, most beautiful golden pillar, the heart of Grand Ivor Glen. <laughs> My apologies, audio diary, but it seems the power has been cut. I'm looking out the window now. There's a shadow raising in the sky. It's leaving up into the atmosphere and it's gone. I'm almost certain that that airship was the aristocrats leaving the city, leaving Flora. This is not good. Edgar's still back with his parents, still grieving as he always will. When we lose someone, that pain does not go away. We just learn how to carry on for them. I can't leave Edgar here. I suppose we'll go back to my home in the workers' district and try to pick up anything we can. And hopefully, we can find a way out of Grand Ivor Glen. I'll go propose this plan to him now. No one should be left alone like this. It's strange, really, with the Golden Tower so dark. It looks just like every other building in Grand Ivor Glen. I suppose we all are the same in death. I suppose, in the end, none of it really mattered. But I'm not alone. I have Edgar here. And I intend to see that my kitten is safe and sound. Rix is such a smart darling, and the enforcement in Tomatons were only going after humans, it looks like. Well, for now. For now. This episode of Bosch and Brave was written and produced by Ashley Glenn, voiced by Clover Grayson, and brought to you by Blackmore Productions. Like what we do here? Follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Want to tell us how great we are? Send us a message at blackmoreproductions at gmail.com. We hope you guys enjoyed the doom and gloom of this episode, and we hope you guys want to see what else we do at BMP. Blackmore Productions. Swim against the current.